0: Hey, uh, welcome everybody to uh, welcome everybody to TK Live. Uh, you no, know, I never give this show a, a title, so I might as well just start doing that from now on. Uh, welcome to TK Live. I'm Matt Taibbi, and um, and we're here to talk about uh, pandemic censorship and the uh, latest moral panic, moral panic number five gazillion and nine or whatever it is in the last five years. Um, The newest one uh, is about a combination of Joe Rogan and Substack. Uh, Really, the two issues are related. Um, Earlier this week, in a a trick that uh, has been used multiple times by multiple outlets using multiple uh, NGOs slash think tanks... In, uh, in the last few years, um, this group called the uh, Center for Countering Digital Hate, which is uh, the product of a former aide to someone in the Labour Party in Britain. Um, basically, they produced a research report, which in turn was given to uh, reporters at the Washington Post and at the Guardian, the Guardian and the Washington Post then sent <laughs> sort of hilariously abbreviated queries to, um, to Substack, uh, which was the subject of the report. And the report, of course, concludes that uh, essentially their, their issue is that uh, five, five sites in particular, uh, including ones belonging to Dr. Robin Malone... Another one uh, belonging to Dr. Joseph Mercola. Another one belonged to Alex Berenson. Uh, there's another one uh, involving um, Eugippus, I think, I am I correct? In pronouncing that correctly. And then another one uh, with uh, Stephen Kirsch. Uh, and they basically they added up using the available data, uh, you know, on on Substack, how much these people theoretically could be making, and came to the shocking conclusion that uh, collectively they could be earning as much as $2.5 million. Uh, Imagine that. And uh, the idea was to shame Substack by throwing this number at them and by having uh, these reporters uh, send this query and without revealing which one of the two uh, publications did this, uh, basically one of them sent in essentially two questions. The first one is, here are the conclusions of uh, the CCDH. And the second question was, uh, are you planning to drop these writers? So, so this is a trick they, they've done a bunch of times. As I mentioned in a piece that I wrote about this, um, they did this with, uh, with the Federalist. Using NBC a couple of years ago, where they produced a research report about um, misinformation at Zero Hedge and, and the Federalist, uh, and then NBC jumped the gun, published a story a story that said essentially that uh, these two sites had been demonetized as a result of um, as a result of the NBC verification unit bringing to the attention of Google, uh, you know, the, the horrible, uh, misinformation of these two sites, then it turned out that that story itself was wrong, um, actually, uh, Zero Hedge was actually demonetized, but, uh, but the Federals never was, and it was only given a warning, and it had nothing to do with anything that had been, uh, delivered to, um to Google by NBC or by the center for uh, countering digital hate. It was just something in the comment sections. So this is uh, it's sort of a, a play on the green mailing trick uh, where you get uh, somebody to produce some negative research about something and then you get the press to essentially threaten to make a big deal out of it um, unless, you'd, unless you do the right thing. Uh, and this has become part of the routine of life in the, the content moderation era, which will probably in the future be known as the digital censorship era. Um, and uh, so that happened, and I, and I wrote about that. And then immediately after, um, or sort of simultaneous to, to uh, that whole episode, came a different one uh, in which... Yet another group, um, well, it wasn't a group this time, previously there had been a group of physicians, uh, some of whom turned out not to be physicians, but they they wrote a letter to Spotify, and this is like the umpteenth group um, writing to Spotify, demanding that Spotify censor the content of Joe Rogan. Uh, This time it wasn't that, this time it was Neil Young, the artist, who said, it's either him or me. Uh, you either drop me or you drop Joe Rogan. And, uh, well, uh, the Sp- Spotify made what, what they call in football a business decision and uh, and went with Joe uh, because he's pulling in a lot more, I'm sure, for, for the company than, than Neil Young is right now. But you know, Barry Manilow pulled out today and... I, I am sure that it is the the, the moment is coming where there somebody's going to figure out that if enough artists threaten to leave a certain platform, that they may be able to pressure uh, a company like Spotify to drop somebody. And this is this is a thing that's gone on over and over and over again in the last five years, especially, uh, and it's. It's a fascinating phenomenon because, for you know, for, for me, the, the the really amazing, interesting part about this whole story is that almost all of these uh, manias are coming from the left. Now, they're not all coming from the left, as people might have read about. Um, there were some interesting stories involving school board decisions yesterday. Uh, one involved the Texas, I'm sorry, a Tennessee school board that voted ten to nothing to remove the Graphic novel Mouse, uh, from the eighth, their eighth grade curriculum, I, the reporting around this was kind of spotty because, uh, in many places it was reported as though they were, the reason for this was that they didn't want to teach about the Holocaust, whereas it sounds a little bit more like a Bible Belt issue where they didn't want to deal with nude imagery. Um... But that happened. Uh, There was also To Kill a Mockingbird was also pulled uh, from a Washington State school system. Uh, And there the issue wasn't conservatives. There it was um, the idea that To Kill a Mockingbird is now uh, racially insensitive. I read the story, did not really understand exactly what the problem was. Apparently, at least one of the students felt uncomfortable reading the book. Um, but it, it wasn't entirely clear to me why there was some implication that there, were, there was increased use of the N-word after that book was assigned, so who knows what's going on. The bigger thing is, though, that these campaigns, like, uh, which are designed to say, uh, you know, I, I will not appear on this platform um, if you continue to allow this other person to appear on the platform, or, I you know... If, if you if you interview person X then um, then i'm not i'm not gonna do business with you anymore um, this is this is kind of a new thing I mean obviously back in the 80s there was the whole phenomenon of uh you know disinvestment we all remember the uh you know I ain't gonna place on city campaign where artists decided they weren't gonna they weren't going to perform in, in South Africa until the apartheid regime ended, but that's a little different from saying I'm not going to uh, appear on a platform uh, that also allows some other point of view to exist on that platform. And this brings us to the last thing which I'll get to before we open it up for questions because I know I, 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 I definitely want to talk uh, with folks a little bit more about this, is I'm, I'm just interested to hear what people have to say. But uh, I, I feel like 90% of the people who are freaking out about Joe Rogan, and this is this goes back now years, because if we remember when uh, he endorsed Bernie Sanders, Sanders was pressured to reject the endorsement, which um, by including by groups like MoveOn, who theoretically exists solely to elect democrats and here they are um you know asking a, a democratic candidate to to renounce the endorsement of one of the few people in media who has the ability to reach independents and, and conservatives um but it's not just that it's it's the fact that i think a lot of the people who are uh, upset about uh, Rogan's interviews with people like Joseph Malone, um, don't realize that those interviews are kind of a mixed bag. I mean, the, uh, there, there may be instances in some of those interviews where there might be exaggerated claims with, um, about the efficacy of ivermectin, um, And look, we have to distinguish there between what people, for instance, I've talked to doctors who swear uh, in both directions. Like some say ivermectin absolutely does not work, right? And these are people who treat COVID all all the time. Then I've had others who say exactly the opposite, that that I've had really good results with this drug. Uh, So it can't be impermissible to say things like that. Um, And as some people have pointed out, uh you know there uh, one of the things that, that that Joe might have gotten wrong um and Dr Malone might have gotten wrong is is that there was a cons- you know kind of a conspiracy to suppress treatment um of these drugs actually there were lots and lots of doctors especially early uh in the uh, in the pandemic who were prescribing these drugs off-label. They were trying everything. Um, but, you know, that's not, it's not like a, a huge mistake. The the real problem that people have is, is this uh, implication that there are, uh, that there are lots and lots of side effects. Uh, and this is in dispute, but Malone has also been right about some other things. You know, the fact that our approach to uh, natural immunity has been totally unscientific. We've also changed our mind about that in the last year. So, you know, as I wrote in my piece, uh, the, 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 the only counter to the most dangerous kind of misinformation, uh, which is always official misinformation, is to allow everybody to talk, including people who get things wrong. And the reason you have to do that is because sometimes the only people who are willing to pay attention uh, to the mistakes of authorities are people who are kind of on the fringes or who have an obsession or, and sometimes they can be wildly off base, but sometimes they can be right too. You, ha- you have to allow those people to speak and to let adults make those decisions because the alternative is bad for two reasons. One, if you, if you shut these people down, first of all, you're eliminating the possibility that uh, a correct critic is going to be censored. The second thing is, and this is what I stressed in my piece, if you, if you close off all those critics, uh, it automatically heightens the suspicion level of media audiences, and you've now... You've now basically compounded your problem, and the the problem they have with their vaccine messaging, they they want to make it out that it's five people: it's Alex Berenson, Joe Rogan, um, it's, uh, Robert Malone, Brett Weinstein, and somebody else who uh, and Kirsch, who are you know causing thirty percent of the country to not vaccinate. Whereas I think the reality is the uh, authorities have a kind of a well-deserved trust problem. The, and by authorities, I mean not just government officials, but people in the news media as well. Um, and so they have to correct that. Uh, getting rid of these voices is not going to solve that problem. Uh, if you, can, you can censor those folks all you want, but if, the, if people don't believe what these officials are telling you, Um, and they're going to believe it less if they feel like uh, opposition voices are censored, Uh, you haven't fixed the problem yet. So, and I, and, you know, I, I say this as somebody who probably thinks a little bit differently about vaccines than Joe Rogan does. Like I'm, I'm vaccinated, boosted, but I wouldn't say that, that it's, it's an incredibly easy decision. I especially don't think it's easy involving children um, you because the the risk level for for kids is so clearly low uh, with this disease. So, um, it's it's very it, it's it, it's very frustrating. And this campaign against Rogan, I think, is is becoming increasingly orchestrated. There was a uh, there was a, an interview uh, with Surgeon General Vivek Murtha on MSNBC uh, just yesterday, which said that, um, I have to get this quote because it's so amazing. Uh, we have to use, uh, all the power that we have, uh, to, here it is. Uh, this is, this is about companies and individuals recognizing that the only way we get past misinformation is if we use the power that we have to limit the spread of that misinformation. And, uh, this is talking about appealing, appealing to friends, uh, in the tech industry to shut down, uh, folks like Rogan. So, um, this is crazy. Uh, this is, this is a government official essentially pressuring a tech company, um, to, to shut down speech. People no longer think that's scary. I think it is, but anyway, let's, let's talk about it. I'm, I'm curious to see, hear what people have to say, um, And, you know, one last thing about the the Rogan issue. I think it's incredibly conspicuous that Rogan has become the focus of so much attention, uh, especially among mainstream uh, press outlets. They're actually more upset about Joe Rogan in, in many ways than they are about, Sean Hannity, or even Tucker Carlson. Uh, part of that is because Rogan's audience is so big. Um, but I think even more than that, it's because these companies and outlets like MSNBC especially, uh, you know, the median age of the MSNBC uh, viewer is 68. They've had a tremendous, uh, tremendously difficult time reaching younger people and, and you can see why like their strategy for reaching those new audiences was a show with nicole wallace you know george bush's former spokesperson uh which shows you how completely out of touch they are uh so because they're struggling so much to find a way to reach younger people and to reach independence and to reach other sorts of audiences there's a kind of built-in um anger uh and uh, you know i i think a bias uh, against rogan that is expressed in all these sort of mainstream programs oh he's terrible he's this incredibly regressive force uh and almost all these these outlets have uh, misinformation records that are as long as your arm i mean they have no business talking about anybody else's uh, you know inaccuracy moreover they just must not watch the show because the whole point of the rogan show is that he just talks to everybody from all sides uh, and the premise of the program is yeah you know we're going to have this discussion and the audience is going to take the information it's up to them to do what they want with it uh he's not telling you what to say uh which used to be the kind of the default method of what interview programs that's how they operated that's how charlie rose operated once upon a time um we don't do that anymore now we're kind of telling you what to think so i i think that this is part part of the backlash is commercially driven it's anger at the fact that they cannot capture the market share that is going to places uh like the rogan show and even Substack. you know i mean we're I'm I'm just one writer, so I'm only seeing one little piece of this. Uh, but you, you know, within the big big news organizations, there's a tremendous amount of frustration about what's happening in independent media, and there's a, there's an anger that they can't just call somebody and and get this fixed. <laughs> so I think that's what the part of what's happening here. And um, anyway, let's open up for for discussion. Um, I think four revolution is on. Hey, Matt. Hey, how's it going?
1: I'm fine. I uh, So you weren't compelled by uh, Chelsea Clinton tweeting out? <laughs> about- <laughs> How amazing was that? <laughs> it's amazing. But, you know, the, the funny thing with the Spotify thing and Neil Young and you mentioned somebody else.
0: Oh, I lost you. Are you there? Can you hear me? Yep.
1: Uh, the interesting thing with Spotify issue is and Neil Young and whoever, I think you mentioned at the beginning, somebody else pulled their- Barry Madelow. Mm-hmm. ...pulled their catalog today, is, and he said, there might be a, a breaking point, but isn't there probably a breaking point on the other side where people are like, wait, you're going to pull off Rogan because of these guys? Well, we're going to do now. And like, it's just like, you know, in some ways it's hard to go bad for the cap of the corporation like Spotify. They're in a bad position too, because they're they're being put in the middle of an issue that's not, they're just a business, they're just a, a platform to distribute content, not moderator couldn't be in my opinion. And they're into a moderator for being asked to be moderator. So
0: it's kind of, it's kind of. Yeah. Strange. Yeah, um, I'm sorry, you, you, your connection was a little spotty there, but um, no, I got the gist of your question. Yeah, there's definitely a breaking point in the other direction, and look, that's part of the whole issue with the phenomenon of sites like Substack. Uh, that's why the reaction was so universally negative toward what what's happened over here. Um, you know, where I where I write, which was, you know, once once upon a time, these companies. Uh, They had almost total control editorially over what people said, because if you stepped out of line, there was nowhere for you to go. It's either, you know, work for Fox News um, or you, you get blacklisted within the business. I mean, you know, look at the amazing fact that the most celebrated investigative reporter in America... Uh, Seymour Hirsch, where does he have to publish? He has to publish in the London Review of Books, right? Um, and why is that? Because you know it's it's kind of been decided. There's like an omerta in mainstream media, and they once once they love that, they love the idea that well, if we have a disobedient person, we can just sort of kick them out, and they'll have to struggle from there. Well, now now there's no struggling. Now, if you if you kick them out, they they actually make more money, they do better, their audiences are bigger, and as we've seen with Rogan, um, they can actually not not just be competitors, but but uh, dominate the, the traditional news companies uh, in direct competition. And so that, yeah, I mean, I, I I do feel a little bit for platforms like Spotify because they're put in the middle of all this, but that's not that's not the fault of somebody like Joe Rogan. I mean, I, right. I mean it's 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 the fault of these people who are like, um, yeah, you know, either him or me. I mean, what what grown up thinker thinks like that? I mean, I I, I guess I can see if the scenario where if it was so bad. Um, I, but that's but that's nowhere near what we're dealing with with Rogan. They're trying to make
1: monogamous relationships out of business relationships, and you can't, right? right. Like, like it's you or it's him or me. You got to pick one
0: kind of thing. You know, like this is just ridiculous. Um, yeah, and 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 not, and not to stretch that to to too fine a point, but look at what happened at the New York Times. Um, it, you know the the. The infamous Tom Cotton editorial, which led to the dismissal of uh editorial page editor James Bennett, it was kind of the same thing. it was like if you don't if you, if if you don't allow us to dictate what's going to be on the op ed page then we're not going to work for you anymore and as a result, you now have an op-ed page that's just increasingly homogenous and just uninteresting, which compounds their problem because where do people go to get interesting content? They're now leaving the New York Times uh, and reading Substack, right, or, or whatever it is, or or Ghost, or Medium, or something like that. So it's self-defeating to me. Do you have
1: trust in, in, in mm-hmm. like, Substack and Colin? to stay as as open and free as, as they are right now and able, people are able to talk about what they want free of, of any overarching, you know, editorial attempts. Or do you think that they're susceptible as well to pushes like this for censorship and that, you know the free thinkers are gonna have to continue to migrate around and and find platforms that'll do it while they can and end up some succumbing to the pressures and forcing people like you and, and other sub stackers and other people that are operating on Colin to seek other other venues.
0: Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. No, I have I have a lot of faith in uh, people like Hamish and, and Chris. Um, they I think they they really get what free speech is all about. They are, you know, they're a big, big business now uh, in ways they weren't, you know, when we started. Um, so they do have a lot of pressures that are that are new. And you never know how somebody's going to, you know, going to respond to that. But I, I think what they did this week um, in rejecting this and putting out... Um, you know, a statement basically saying, you know, you know we, we, we believe in this principle and we believe it even when it comes to people to uh, protecting voices that we totally disagree with, uh, which is the traditional understanding of free speech. I think, the, I think that they have an instinctive understanding of that. I think they also know on a, on a cynical level that their business model depends on You know them having faith uh, in that. um, If they were to start being more selective about that and kicking people off, I think they would lose a lot of writers. So, um, yeah, I, I, I I think that there's the. I don't have any fear that they're going to do that. They're 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 going to go in the wrong direction. Last thing, and you mentioned a little bit about kids and
1: COVID, and yeah, I find this issue. I don't have kids myself, but I still find it immensely. Interesting and and somewhat frightening, you know. uh Crystal and Sager, I think yesterday we're talking. I think Sager specifically was talking about the statistics and, and the different types of dangers for for kids like under twelve and twelve to seventeen. And COVID is so much lower than like even drowning in a pool for kids under twelve or driving in a car, which we're not even having. It, and Glenn brought this put up months ago and got you know yelled at for it, but is there any hope for rational conversation about COVID and kids and like shutting down schools and the, the detriments that these, these social and like the Barry Weiss thing last week where she said, you know, something that I happen to agree with. I don't agree with much that Barry Weiss says, frankly, but is there any hope for having a reasonable conversation about like school age kids and the, and that almost just for everybody, the social impact of forcing people to mask where you can't see people's faces, a huge part of communication is below your nose and above your chin. And is there any hope to have a normal conversation about this, or is
0: it just shut out? And- yeah, no. Yeah. I, I I personally don't have a lot of hope that they... I, I don't think they can... They can the business model just won't allow them to to do it that way. So just take for an example, um, last March, there was a Brown University professor named Emily Oster uh, who wrote a piece in The Atlantic uh, that was called Your Unvaccinated Kid is Like a Vaccinated Grandma. And it was was a very sensible, factual piece that just said basically what we all know, which is that the risks to children of severe illness from COVID are really, really small. And an unvaccinated child, um, you know, is that risk of infection. um, That's sort of equivalent to a vaccinated older person, right? And, uh, And there was a massive blowback. Oster ended up having to uh, issue an apology on Substack, ironically. Um, and, it's, it's a completely unscientific way of looking at this issue. Like, I, I don't understand why, I I didn't understand from the beginning why, why it was, um, impossible for journalists to get up and say something like, look, this is, this is a serious disease. that's going to kill a lot of people. um, However, overwhelmingly, those people are going to be older. They're going to have comorbidities. Uh, your likelihood of dying, uh, if you're young and healthy and within a certain age range, is going to be X. Uh, so, be yes, be concerned, but 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 also you know 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 that there's some encouraging news here as well. Well, that was um, the Great barrier Declaration, right? Essentially, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, but but the problem is. The the model of how we do media commercially in this country depends on um, getting people worked up. So it's, it, it isn't just that we want people in a panic all the time. We've always wanted that, um, even though the, those panics have usually been more per- periodic than they are now. Like now we're in a constant state of panic. <laughs> but also that the narrative style of journalism depends on there being an enemy and so it was early on, um, I think they settled on this idea that the science denier, the person who was too cavalier about the dangers of of COVID, that that person was going to be the villain in the ongoing story that is news. And, and, and so it, it, it created this endless atmosphere of panic, whereas it, it should have been possible... To teach the population uh, to treat them like adults, and say, "Look, there, there are serious risks here. This is going to people are probably going to die. They're, you know, five or ten times as much as a bad flu season, at least. Um, and we don't know a whole lot about this disease, and there are unknown effects, and all these things are scary. Uh, but there's some, there's some stuff that, that, you know, it isn't so bad. Also, um, but we're not allowed to say that, and and that's part of what's going on." With the Rogan show is that they're taking the wrong tone, um, in their discussion of the virus. So, this yeah. is
1: very interesting stuff. I could ask you twenty more questions, but you got a big cube. <laughs> yeah. All
0: right, thanks so much. I appreciate it.
1: Commiserate about this stuff every night, and my girlfriend just is like, "Why do you focus on this so much?" I'm like, "Because it, because it matters. Like, this is a huge change in
0: things. This Absolutely. is a huge." So, so anyway thanks for your time Matt thanks so much I appreciate it alright let's go to Banyan I think hey Matt can you hear me? yep absolutely awesome thanks um, for coming
2: yeah thanks so much for doing this this is this is really great um, before I get to my original uh, comment I just want to piggyback off what you and the last caller we were talking about I'm a high school teacher and I have couple of teenage boys of my own um i've had dozens of kids out quarantined um from the school uh over the past you know several months um all of them come back and say especially lately the last month or two with the omicron variant pretty much across the board the ones i've heard from it's been a scratchy throat a sniffle for a day or two and they're out for 10 days. Right. Um, right. Same hot. Ha- same thing happened with my 13 year old uh, last week. He tested positive. He was scratchy throat, no fever, just a little very mild symptoms, as we all have heard. And, you know, right back up and ready to go back to school. But again, he had to stay out. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree um, with, you know, this whole idea of vaccinating kids or boosting kids, especially my both, both my boys are vaccinated originally. Um, but there's no way I would give them the booster, right? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense at all. And I don't know why that's not part of the larger conversation. Like, this, you know, we're, if we're data-driven on this, um, which it doesn't really seem to be, I don't know.
0: Um, yeah. No, no, absolutely. And um, where do you teach, by the way? What part of the country? Uh, Oregon. Oregon, okay. Yeah, um, it's interesting because I'm a, uh, I just started recently doing research for this book about COVID profiteering. So I'm having to learn a lot about how the pharmaceutical business, uh, operates i never covered it before. I don't, I never really knew a whole lot about it or about the regulatory agencies. But one of the things that one official was telling me is that, uh, is that you'll frequently run into this problem where, uh, the, the drug company and the regulatory agency will do accurate um, research about a new treatment. Um, and hypothet- he came up with a hypothetical. He said, "It's let's say we get a, a vaccine that for one out of every five people uh, is absolutely foolproof uh, and prevents something like, I don't know, HPV or whatever it is, like you know, okay. some kind of disease, Right. So they will say, great, it's, you know, for one out of every five people, it it works perfectly. There's no, there's very minimal side effects to the whole thing. Um, So let's introduce it into the market. Let's have everybody um, take this drug. However, what they don't do is we won't do a cost-benefit analysis and say, well, is this really any better than the current situation of how we deal with the entire population with chemo. In other words, are are we gonna are we gonna cause more problems with those four out of five people, um, than than we're incurring now by doing nothing but treating with chemotherapy, which still which will still work, right? So uh, essentially, what they're saying is they will not do. In so, in some cases, they won't do this overall cost. Benefit analysis to find out, like, you know, what are some of the other things that are that are factors, um, you know, that you might want to consider. And I, and I, I, feel like news-wise, early on in the story, it became absolutely taboo to talk about the the social uh, costs of things like. Lockdowns or school closures. You, if you remember, there were a couple of doctors who talked about that for a self-interested reason, but they were the first people knocked off the internet. Um yep. Yep. And and, um, and you know, with kids and these school closures, you know, I, I just got done doing the Loudon story. I didn't in, I didn't include this in the story, but there were there was an amazing. Uh, subtext of the whole thing, which is that they had a hybrid system that allowed some kids to come in and some to stay home and what ended up happening was um even the kids who wanted to go to school ended up staying home because the kids who were staying home were cheating on all our tests they were they were using they were using google and and it created this whole this thing where everybody was mad at everybody in the town and you know there were a lot of problems with school closures that created all sorts of issues mental health issues right I mean you must know this oh, yeah. Um, and so but we can't talk about that because if you, if you talk about that you instantly become labeled um an anti vaxxer or 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 you know or science denier or something like that whereas actually sometimes it's the opposite you know um, absolutely totally a, and I've actually had
2: students. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go no. Ahead. Go
0: ahead.
2: Yeah. Oh, well, I've actually had students this week tell me because we're we're in the middle of exams. I'm on my lunch break by the way. Um, they said, Boyd, I wish we were still at home because man, I could I could I could cheat on this math test." You know? <laughs> um, and it's like, "What? What are you talking about, man? Just study, you know." Um, but yeah, exactly. no, you're absolutely right, and this is we did the same thing we did the hybrid thing some kids were home some kids were and that was a nightmare for us teachers by the way it was really difficult to to handle both and we were expected to do both at the same time and um anyway it was that was really tricky but yeah you're totally right the whole cost-benefit analysis i think that's like kind of a common theme like where is that with this as glenn points out as you pointed out like and your last caller mentioned driving is one of the like perfect examples like we don't do the we all we have cost benefit for everything we do in life. It seems except COVID, right? It's like right. It's insane. It's insane.
0: Yeah. Why is that? It does. It it, it it's just for, forbidden. And, and what's what's so interesting is that they, it's not like there's some memo that they send down through the ranks that tells people this. They just know instinctively not to go near this topic, and um, you know that that to me tells you that that this. Uh, kind of mass psychosis that's in, in, uh, taken over the news business is in a, in a pretty advanced place um, because this used to be a pretty inquisitive profession uh, with a, a lot of r- rebellious uh, difficult people and and that's all over now. <laughs> you know, the, yeah, do you, the, do you think
2: that people are scared? Do you think people are just nervous that they're actually thinking these things, but they're scared to talk about
0: them because of the how loud the voices are that are screaming anti-vax, anti-science? Yeah, you don't want... You, you just don't want to be... You don't, you don't want to get that label. Right. Um, you don't want to have somebody writing to your editor that, you know, you're a science denier or whatever it is. Right. Uh, I think for... You know, for somebody like me or Glenn whatever right like you know right. we, can, we, we can get away with saying anything we want but I think for a 28 a year old reporter who's hanging on to a staff job in a business that's already bleeding jobs um, you do not want to be the person who gets the reputation for being um, you know for, for being unreliable uh, in any way and so people just they stay back from where they think the line is and that's crazy. Just quickly, can I ask? Did you did you also have the phenomenon of having lots and lots of A's and Fs because of the? <laughs> Absolutely, you did. It was, huh?
2: it was almost <laughs> exclusively. <A's.
0: laughs> Do you want to you explain know? that to people why that is?
2: Well, the kids either showed up and like actually participated and did their work, or they didn't. I, I was like, I would be completely ghosted by over half the students when we were locked down completely, um, and I wouldn't even see them. Maybe, maybe they would show up for the first class, and then I wouldn't see them at all.
0: Right, um, right.
2: And then the others who were there, um, as long as they could keep their hands off the Xbox and focus on, you know, on, on the computer for school, then they, they were doing their work. I teach ceramics, and so it was a little bit different for me. I don't know. Math teachers might have a different story. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was more of a you show up, you do the work, you know, you're, you're going to get the grade. Uh, right. That was during, during the quarantine.
0: Interesting. Yeah, no. Yeah. I, the the yeah. story I heard was from uh, was from a math teacher, um, and well, actually, I heard it from a former school board member too. But they, but essentially, it was it was that either you had kids who were totally checked out and didn't do the work and flunked, or, or were they cheating. were cheating. Or they were cheating. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah.
2: And because it's a visual art, they would show me over the computer, and so they, you know, I knew that they were doing the word themselves. They had to, they can't cheat on a, a right. ceramics project, right? Because they physically had clay at their house that I delivered to them. But I don't want to take up all your time. I had my original thing really quick, if that's okay. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, the Originally, in the very beginning, I'll try to make this quick. In the very beginning, um, you know, my one of my main reasons for getting the vaccine for, like, kind of being a proponent of it was this whole idea that we heard over and over again that hosp- hospitals were being overrun, um, that you couldn't get if you had a heart attack. Good luck. If you had a car accident. Good luck because you're not going to be able to get in a hospital because, you know, nobody's getting vaccinated. And I think I don't know if it was Glenn or maybe it was you. Uh, brought up the other day, and I found an article from, uh, maybe you've seen it or maybe talked about it, I don't know, but from January 18th, 2018, Time Magazine ran an article titled Hospitals Overwhelmed by Flu Patients or Treating Them in Tents. Um, <laughs> so this is a 2017-2018 flu season. Um, it talked about New Jersey was completely at capacity. Alabama, one of the largest hospitals in Birmingham, um, had tents out, surge tents California set up these tents, LA Times reported that same week that some patients were treated in the hallways, Um, Allentown, Pennsylvania, it just went on and on and on, like basically across the country, that all of these places were overwhelmed. And then you come and you realize that, oh, it's because the for-profit health system ICU beds sitting there empty, it doesn't, there's no profit in that. And so that's why we, when we have things like the flu season of 2017, 2018, and then now this, that's why we have hospitals that are overrun, because we're not set up for it. Right? right. And so I think yeah. that's part like like that, to me, if that was more of the conversation back then, I would have had a totally different outlook. Um, you know. Yeah. On the whole thing.
0: that's a really good point. Uh, and part of that is that uh, we just don't do a lot of reporting about what actually goes on in hospitals. Um, I think if there was a lot of ignorance among people about, um, for instance, how many people die of flu every year, exactly. uh, I think if people knew those numbers and were more familiar with that, they they would be shocked. I mean, I the person I had on yesterday on call and um, Matt Bivens, he's a uh, he's an ER doctor, and you know the he sees it every year. Uh, as it happens, you know the I I, I think the year before COVID arrived, um, or was it the year be? It was two years before maybe. Uh, it was particularly bad, right? Um, but you know we've had we've had years with fifty, sixty, seventy thousand deaths from flu, and it's not a new story in this country. I mean, which is fascinating. So we can we could we could have chosen. <laughs> to To flip out about that, and Great. and who knows what what the result of that would have been. Uh, but it is it is very interesting the selective um, selective tolerance that we have for certain kinds of catastrophes, uh, whether it's you know opioid deaths, overdoses, um, you know heart attacks, uh, just. The, the, the press only rallies to make a national emergency out of something when it feels so inclined. Now no this one this one is was exotic and scary for a lot of reasons so it makes sense but you're right, yeah right. you're absolutely right the, the the issue with the overcrowding part of that is just the way we the way we design hospitals so um, yeah, it would, it would it would have been nice to know that beforehand. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah. And and with the cost benefit thing, you know, I think I read somewhere, you can correct me if this is wrong, but I think teen suicides were up like 50% from 2019 to 2020. And so like, where is that in the conversation? You know, right. Um, but anyway, I'll let I'll let someone
0: else talk. All thank right. Thanks so much. Thanks thank so so much, much appreciate appreciate oh, it. Bye-bye. Good luck with your bye. teaching. All right. Thank take you. care. Thanks. All right, bye. All right. I think
3: uh it's Xavi. Yes, how are you doing? How are you doing? I'm doing good, thanks for the call. I was, curi- I was curious if you heard of the story of the British Medical Journal getting sort of fact-checked or censored by Facebook. No, what happened? Well, so I think back in November there was a whistleblower from Pfizer, I believe, like from one of the places where they were doing the testing uh, for the COVID vaccine. And she reported there some things went wrong. She went to the FDA. Uh, FDA didn't do anything, if I understood correctly. Oh,
0: wait. Yes, I, I remember this. This was the uh, the Pfizer COVID, COVID trial, right? Yeah. And there was, was a like... doctor...
3: I'm trying to remember his name. Comron K- something? Y- yes, I, I think it was... A, yeah, I, I don't remember the name either, but... Uh... So it was somebody working at this uh, place where the testing was being done, right? Right. And and what I'm
0: I'm sorry, what was the uh, what was the result of the of the the um,
3: the the test? Uh, So, like, uh, I think the results. it, It was part of the experiment, like the testing for the COVID vaccine. So it was just done apparently terribly sloppy, not up to standards. At this one place, right, I think there were a 1,000 people being there in the trial, and it's out of 44,000. So it's not like it would be anything fundamental. But the interesting thing is she went to the FDA. The FDA apparently is supposed to report it when they approve a vaccine of any things that happened during the trials. They didn't do it. And right. then she went to the British Medical Journal as a yeah, whistleblower or source. I don't know how to... Say it exactly. So they had an investigative journalist write an article. It got published. Somebody tried to post, or posted it on Facebook, and then got this warning: like you're posting, uh, yeah, misinformation. Right. If you don't delete this, we might, uh, you know, uh, I think slow down traffic or something like that.
0: Yep. Yep. Okay. So I, I just, uh, I just typed in the story, and um, so the. <laughs> this is this is a phenomenon that drives me nuts i i don't know a ton about this particular story so i'm just going to speak generally if that's okay yeah but but um so this is uh, this is an area where you have true information but it's inconvenient and what people are worried about is that uh is that people people who they assume are not going to be responsible with the information are going to respond to it um, in the wrong way, uh, and so they either suppress or avoid talking about something that's true, um, because because the the wrong people might u- use it the wrong way, um, and th- this is a major mistake. Uh, th- they did this with the with the whole issue of. Um, Natural immunity, right? So, uh, and you'll you'll often see these 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 uh, fact checks. Whether it's one of the platforms like Facebook or or Twitter, um, or it's one of those fact check sites like Politifact, and they'll talk about how it's missing context, right? Uh, that's the magic term now. Um, and what they mean by missing context is that. You haven't been told the, the uh, enough of the bad part of the story uh, so that you you won't use this information... Responsibly. Yeah, irresponsibly. Like, So if you, if you actually know that natural immunity is, is more effective than the vaccine, which turns out to be true, and the CDC seems to have admitted, um, you know, the, the, they... Uh, you know... They're worried uh, that you're going to use that information um, to to avoid getting the vaccine. Now, in this case, it looks like fact, uh, Facebook said that the um, the article about this trial was labeled missing context because they were afraid it would be used by anti-vaxxers as quote proof that the COVID vaccines were unsafe. So it's exactly it's exactly that same thing. It's like. Let's let's take something true, but like hide it from you, or suggest that there's something wrong about it, um, because we we think you're going to take the wrong inference. Which, again, and I talked about this in the piece this week. When you start doing that, people start drawing the opposite conclusion, which is that you're lying to them about other stuff, and it's just it's just such a it's such a total misunderstanding of how media audiences think that. Um, I don't know. It drives me nuts. Uh, do you
3: do you feel like what? Do you have any other thoughts about it or like what? It was also driving me nuts, and especially like the thing is, you have like the British Medical Journal, which is probably one of the most prestigious like general medicine like uh, journals out there, and they were being dismissed as a news blog. <laughs> but these fact checkers of Facebook were literally nobody's. Like, I couldn't even, like, find proper, like, uh, like they have no credentials at all. Right. And they're, like, calling people with, like, the highest credentials. Like, I don't like censorship anyway. But if you, like, following the science, you should probably have people with decent credentials doing the censorship, right? Like, if that's what you believe in, that we should only get, like, fetid information, then get qualified people to do that but it's not even that it's just like facebook is just hiring a bunch of idiots to yeah to fact check people it it makes absolutely no sense to me at all
0: no there 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 is no and this is another thing that drives me crazy the the whole worship of fact checking that's happened in the last five years and i and i wrote about this once um and I talked about this a little bit with with Walter Kern. We did a call-in with him um, because fact-checking within the business, uh, for, for those of you who don't know, it we've, we've always had them, uh, they, but they existed for a very specific reason. We, one, we were trying to p- protect the reputation of whatever the media organization was by not making really, really stupid errors. But the other major reason was to avoid to, to keep us out of litigation, right? So typically, a fact check is done by somebody who's you know maybe just out of college, um, you know, literate, has some ambitions to do something else in the business, but they're not experts in anything, in any more than any of us in ju- journalism are experts, and they're they're working. Under incredible time pressure, usually, and so mostly, le- mostly, what they're able to do is just to spot really, really bad, obvious factual errors. Like, are we are we crediting the wrong person with with saying this quote? Um, are we saying that so and so won an election when actually they lost the election? Um, it's it's stuff like that. Anything that's more difficult than that. That's not a fact-checking job that's a reporting job and and that stuff is hard uh, when you when you start getting into science you know nobody's qualified to do that like you, you, you may, maybe you know maybe the very best reporters um, are able to to lay out all the issues but to make a definitive statement about what is and is not true um, that's just not what fact checkers um do they it it would be it's just it'd be impossible to do uh at the scale they're trying to do so anyway i'm sorry to ramble about that but that's a private
3: little uh Uh, yeah i agree completely i think it was also nice in cy hirsch's book that i think fact checkers were also in his time a little bit political sometimes right like if he had a controversial story it gets like fact-checked more and it gets harder, let's say. Oh, well that's, yeah, that's a little bit of a, so that's
0: another area that's interesting. Like if you, I should probably do a separate show sometime about all the different ways they kill stories. <laughs> um, that would be but, nice. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, I remember that from his book reporter. Um, Absolutely true. Like you, you, start to know when your editor hates the story, and they want, and they they have absolutely no plan to publish it in the form that you're imagining. Um, a couple of things happen. First of all, they they ask you to do multiple rewrites, wow. right? They they say, "Oh, you know what? This is great, um, but we'd really love it if you just worked on these two parts a little bit." Uh, so you go back and you work on those for like three days and then they say, yeah, but go back again, you know? And the next thing you know, it's three weeks and you've been working on it and you end up forgetting about it and we're moving on to something else. And the story never runs. That's also, they, they also do that with the fact checking. They, they gum you up with problems. They say, can you get another source for this or that? And that's how they slow that from, from getting into print. Uh, so he's absolutely right about that. that but, um, But yeah, very interesting. Anyway, (laughs) thanks, (laughs) I Appreciate it. Yeah, have a nice day. Uh, You too. All right, Ticker. Let's talk to uh, Granite. I think is the next person. Granite finds. Yes, Matt. Hey, how are you doing? Hi
4: Paul. Hey, uh, you write of censorship, and I thought, I think there's an underlying issue of censorship, and that's who determines what truth is. And And I always think there's an article in there somehow, is track down truth throughout history. Like, Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? <laughs> it, it, it's been around forever, and yet, now, in the Trump area, someone apparently declares this is the truth, and if somebody says no, this is, they'll go stomp them out with censorship. I don't get it. I would yeah. think we would just like to get out all the ideas out there, talk them out, sort them out, and the truth. Filters to the top, but apparently that's not the case nowadays.
0: You know what? That's a that's a really great point. I've never, I've I've never written this, but but um, but you're absolutely right. So there's like who determines what truth is? Well, nobody does. That's the whole point. Like you can have you can have artistic truth, something that's so sublime and perfect that. Uh, you know, you, every cell in your body just knows that it's right. You know, the 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 great author used the right word in that sentence. That's true, right? It's artistically true, but the idea of like what's correct? Now you can have two plus two equals four, yes. Uh But then once you start radiating out from simple stuff like that, uh, and, and this is this to me is like a core principle of journalism, which is. It's always approximate. you're you're always aiming at a moving target um, you're doing the best you can but yeah. the but the idea that you can never be exactly right is insane. And the whole point of journalism and this is and this is something that I think a lot of reporters used to believe once upon a time uh, is none of us are getting it completely right. but in the aggregate, if we all attack a subject from enough angles, the public is going to get enough information to get by, right? Like they'll figure it out. Uh, and that attitude of let's do the best we can, let's be as as accurate as we can possibly be, let's just call it as we see it from our angle. But you know, in the in the relativity age, the whole idea of being there being a fixed truth to anything is you know, even even when we're talking about just being correct, um, as opposed to true, uh, is is kind of absurd. And and especially in the Trump era, this this obsession with talking about um, something that is scientific fact or scientific truth is a total. I'm pretty sure if there are any scientists who are listening today, they'll tell you it's a total perversion of how even scientists understand the idea, right? Like truth is truth is something that emerges through a series of, of uh, hypotheses and responses, and it's part of a dialogue, and you, you don't just declare something true and just end the discussion there. It doesn't work like that, does it?
4: I just know in today's day and age, I have to read something or hear something and i have to be somewhat suspect as opposed to now that's not saying i've discovered also if you want to get closer to the truth you need to pay for Substack because people that i think are telling the truth it takes about half a dozen Substack subscriptions <laughs> you know plus crystal and sager and it's like you know you're one of them and it's like you just gotta kind of triangulate and i'm like yeah i can kind of get a gist of where we're really at on this
0: right yeah well i appreciate your subscribing um you know but i I mean i always i always counsel people like we're we're trying to get it right like the the whole the whole idea is if you get enough stuff wrong you're you know your people will stop trusting you so you have to worry about that a lot um but you know you you always got to check uh, and that's that's why this whole idea of oh let's let's stomp out the people who are incorrect because that'll will solve all the problems, like uh, some- it, like it won't, <laughs> you know. But they don't. Uh,
4: get- that's that drives me nuts too. But it's like really,
0: yeah, you exactly. create
4: more conspiracy theorists with stomping out others
0: absolutely yeah no i'm I'm completely in agreement with you there and also i i think as this as the pandemic has shown i mean this has been the ultimate example of how how fact is a, is a moving target right everything that we thought about everything has <laughs> has changed you know we were initially we were told masks were we didn't need them then we were told we had to wear them everywhere then we were told, well, we only have to wear them inside. Um, and then it was, well, um, well, the cloth masks don't work. We need N95 masks. I mean, this stuff changes constantly. It doesn't mean that people are lying to us necessarily. It just means that, that our, our understanding of things changes because we're human beings, you know? Uh, and so it's very, very frustrating when people people you know these blue ribbon panels get up and they start talking about how we want to remove so and so for violating factual standards well they're you know what like you don't you don't know any better than anybody else like you know yeah. uh, what right? point
4: the arbitrator of truth
0: exactly exactly and, and 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 that position of arbitrator can be abused pretty easily so yeah so. um Anyway, thank, thank, thanks thanks so much, Granite. Yeah. All right. Uh, A couple more here at least. Um, Let's talk to Chester. Are you there, Matt? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Oh,
5: thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Um, first of all, it's uh, encouraging that you're doing some sort of a a book on uh, Big Pharma. Oh God. (laughs) i uh i await that with uh, some some real interest uh just some uh gratuitous advice uh first thing you ought to do is read uh RFK's book
0: oh yeah no, i know i um um almost almost finished with it now very yeah. interesting
5: yeah you just you can't be too cynical when it comes to that industry but that's anyway that's not what i Wanted to ask you that. A, I, a,
0: a I, lot of interesting stuff in there about the uh, about the royalty system that I think people don't know about. But anyway, well, we'll get, that's another another subject for another time.
5: Yeah. No, I just wanted to kind of helicopter up and 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 ask you kind of just in terms of looking at the political landscape. It seems like you know you can kind of I mean, you can slice it different ways, I guess. But you know, maybe three broad groups might be you know Republicans or center rights or whatever they are who are still. You know, very much in the um, free speech camp. Uh, and then you've got, uh, on the left, you've got kind of like the the old left, quote-unquote old, who, you know, grew up when free speech was a good thing, right? Right. And, um, and then you have, you know, kind of the new puritanical left, which are all about being, you know, kind of on the, uh, the morally right side of history. And I guess... I see a lot of. I guess my question for you is: Do you think that center group, that second group, the the kind of the the free speech left, the liberal with the small L left? Do they see? Why do they say so quiet? Do they do they see a danger here, or do they not see the danger? or do They just like the way that the you know the table is kind of tilted right now, since all the censorship is is on the right, but
0: yeah. No, I understand your question completely. Um, uh, it's Chester, right? Yeah. Uh, well, not really. But oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> All right. That'll, that'll, uh, that'll do. Okay. So, my my answer to that question, being one of those old, old literally old liberals, um, you know, I and mean, I grew up around people for whom uh, free speech was the primary political value of. <laughs> of liberalism right like that was that was the litmus test issue oh yeah uh for for being politically liberal once upon a time that's why we uh we freaked out so much about what turns out in retrospect to be a pretty minor thing you know tipper gore's uh parents music resource center um you know the the time they tried to ban fuck the police or yeah uh andres serrano's paintings or maplethorpe or anything like that yep. um that was when you saw these, this incredible outpouring of, of outrage by uh traditional liberals and and during the reagan era there was there was so much fear that oh my god the tower commission like on pornography they're going to declare all these things obscene um, the lionization of Larry Flint, right, from that uh, Milos Forman movie, which is a terrific movie, but uh, mm-hmm. but the whole idea was this was central to, to your identity once upon mm-hmm. a time was yeah. this, you know, we're gonna we are the people who believe that even even the, the most unpopular, most repugnant opinions, they have to be allowed they have to be heard the old Skokie thing, for example. The Skokie thing, which is, you know, if you haven't seen the movie Mighty Ira, it's like, it's so, it's so um, carefully thought out, like their position on that. Uh, and this was, everybody thought this way. So those people didn't just die. They're, they're not, they're not dead. They're my age. A lot of them, they're, you know, between 45 and 70, right? There's a lot right. of these people. And, um, and so why are they being quiet? Well, that's a really good question because, uh, I know, I, I mean, I, I know absolutely that there are huge numbers of people in the news media who are deeply uncomfortable with the direction that things have gone in, but they're caught up in this, in, in this new kind of thinking, um, it's a little bit, it kind of reminds me of, do you remember when Alan Greenspan in the 90s came out with this whole idea of the new paradigm? Like uh, dot-com companies were, um, uh, it, it, it was it was possible to have growth without inflation and it was possible for companies that had never shown any profits to actually be good, <laughs> good bets yeah. in the stock market. Yeah, basically just a, a new riff
5: on this time it's different,
0: yeah. Yeah, this time it's different, right? So suddenly, I, I think you, you're, what you're seeing is a whole bunch of people who believe something their whole lives and all of a sudden they become seduced by this idea that, well, um, we have to change that way of thinking maybe because of Trump, maybe because da- the dangers are so big on the other side. But I, I just really, you know, I don't really buy it. I, I know I talk to a lot of people who... who. Um, were sincerely converted to the idea that censorship worked um, after Alex Jones uh, was taken off the internet and after Miley Yiannopoulos was um, sort of disinvited from every university. There was this thing that went around saying censorship works, deplatforming works. Right? It doesn't stop there, though. That's the thing. Like. It, I, and, I, and I was trying to talk to people who, you know, colleagues of mine at the time saying the problem with this is that it, it, it's it, it's never just one person it always goes on um, and, and and we're seeing that now right? Like, It started with Alex Jones if you can go back and look you'll see the CNN media reporter Oliver Darcy uh, saying, well there's no indication that anybody would do anything as Extreme is try to suggest that I don't know that Fox News should be deplatformed, for instance, right? And Joe Rogan, right? Yeah, now we're not even talking about Fox News. Now we're talking about Joe Rogan, who's <laughs> to the left of eighty percent of the country, which just shows you how how quickly this stuff um, metastasizes, right? So, well, that's, yeah. that's why
5: it's, I think it's so dangerous, and why you know it interests me uh, as to whether or not the. The people that sort of run the cultural conversation, like, I mean, people you know, kind of like you, but in in mainstream institutions, you know, if they might at some point awaken to the danger.
0: Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know, because because they're 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 being, they're getting older, and and this, the the younger generation um, of. Liberals are who are replacing the older ones. Um, they they didn't grow up with that with that other tradition. Uh, you know they didn't they didn't grow up grow up with um, gross out comedy and and uh, they didn't read obscene novels. They they don't see any literary value at all. And you know a book like Lolita, for instance, right? Like to them, that's just a, a story about predation. So, I worry about it, right? Because I, I yeah. think I think there's a lot of... There's a lot of... You can see it symbolized in, in Joe Biden, who was, is, who is, um, you, know, uh, you know, a free talker in kind of both the best and worst senses of the word, right? Uh, yeah. And But he and all of his staff have gone over to this idea that... that um, You know, we we have to be much more um, draconian in the way we look at these things. So, yeah, I have a lot of worries about that. I don't know about you, but yeah,
5: yeah. No, I I mean, it's basically it's a real cultural divide, and you know, it. um, I mean, if the country is no longer about freedom of speech, I mean, anything's on the table, right?
0: Yeah, exactly, and that's, um, you know, that's another thing that's so fascinating about this is that freedom of speech is not just the core liberal value, but it's a core American value.
5: That's it's a core enlightenment
0: value. Right, a core enlightenment value. Core, But but particularly for people who grew up in this country, the idea of being anything but like a full, full-throated supporter of freedom of speech would have been totally alien to... I mean, I, I just wouldn't even have known how to imagine that kind of person once upon a time. Like... I, I, at worst, you had somebody who was religious and maybe didn't want to see piss Christ in a museum or something like that. Yeah, kind but, of a prude. Pr- a prude, but this 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 version of being against free speech—like I, I had never seen this before growing up. So in America, um, so it's I, I guess I guess we did have it at different times in our history, but um, I'm worried about it now because the possibility is. Um, the technological possibilities for enforcing it are so much more serious than they were before. Um, well, so. one last
5: comment, and then I'll let you move on to the next caller. But I, I, I watched a, or listened to a, a recent podcast with a fellow by the name of Robert Kaplan on
0: mm-hmm. the
5: infamous Joe Rogan show. And uh, he talks about how technology is kind of really tilting the, the table uh, one way or the other. Uh, I'd recommend that to everybody to, to take a listen because it's, it's all about you know this conversation.
0: So Absolutely, make, would love to. Thanks again, Matt. Enjoyed it. All right, thanks very much uh, to Chester. Good enough. And, <laughs> and, no, all that. right, uh, thanks so much. And uh, I'm going to do two more, if that's okay with everybody. Um, uh, let's talk to Calvin. Calvin, hey Matt. Here? Hey. Yeah, I'm here. How's it going?
6: Great, Matt. Thanks for everything you've done. I've been reading you, going back to like the exile.
0: Oh my um, goodness.
6: Yeah, yeah. I, I lived in, in Ho Chi Minh City for years and worked for a state-owned newspaper. So, wow. I was such an admirer of what you were able to do there. Um, <laughs> yeah, just your whole whole career. Um, so.
0: So That means uh, you have you have a high tolerance for 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 wacky material, I guess, I hope.
6: That, that's, yeah, and I was absolutely freaked out when you know I, I thought one of your most beautiful books was I Can't Breathe. I mean, it was it way long before the murder of George Floyd, and um, it was basically shut down <laughs> based on this false premise that everything you had written in this this whacked out oh I know you newspaper know, yeah. was true, and it was such a and it, it basically, it felt like it squashed the conversation around what all the things that you had.
0: Right, um, well, well, fortunately it came back, so okay. yeah. yeah.
6: Anyway, um, but yeah, I, look, this is a question, this may be unrelated, um, but it's it's something I really wondered, like, for some reason, I'm still getting checks deposited into Wells Fargo, and I still have a Bank of America credit card in my wallet. You know, mm-hmm. like, it's it seems so depressing that Since I read your book about um, Wall Street, that like I know that these are horrible institutions that they're they're criminal and that they get a pass, but like I don't know what else to do with money. And 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 some of the people I've talked to have basically said that smaller banks and credit unions are largely owned by these bigger financial institutions. Like, in I guess I would would my question is just like post occupy why are so many people who view big banks as corrupted institutions putting their money in them because
0: Should- there's no other what choice yeah, so there is
6: no other way around that
0: yeah not really it's okay. it's it's pretty I mean if I'm embarrassed by where I bank i, I I've written horrible things about the 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 company where I bank um, they are uh, but all the banks are terrible. That's see, that's the problem. Um, you, you you can't scan the landscape and say, "Well, I'll just pick the least worst out of these options because they're they're all bad. Uh, they, they all have uh, regulatory records of regulatory fines that are so <laughs> that are so varied uh, and extensive that. You know the, the idea of finding a company that is um, is not going to be shameful on some level is is just impossible. I mean, you talk about Wells Fargo. I don't bank at Wells Fargo, but you know some some of their primary investors were Berkshire Hathaway. You know, and so you have Warren Buffett, who's you know supposed to be the the sort of symbol of responsible investing and. In, um, on Wall Street and that company is just terrible, you know? Um, Yeah, totally. So, yeah, and just to answer your question, I went through a period where I tried to move all my money to a credit union um, uh, and and some of it was moral, some of it was was fear uh, because I had seen how irresponsible they were uh, and also how how uh, Easy it is for them to make uh, really monumental errors for, for, that are that are not really recoverable. Uh, like in other words, people, if you are a, a high net worth investor, you can have holdings at some of these places, and things can happen to your money that you just wouldn't even imagine. So I, I went through that period. I tried to go to a credit union, but it it just doesn't work. Like. Wow. It's it's a it's a terrible trade-off. Um, the only the only uh, company that I know that consistently gets good ratings and, and does not have the reputation of being um, horrible is the Armed Services Bank, uh, which I have no access to. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, the, Ber- the Bernie Sanders idea about postal banking is interesting. Um, yeah because it would give people an option where they didn't have to to go to these massive institutions which have so many built-in advantages that they're crushing all those small regional banks um with you know tremendous alacrity uh in part because of the bailouts and all that so um yeah that's tough i don't know i don't i don't have a good answer for you and in fact that's a that's a shameful secret from my life is that it, that uh, that i bank at one of those places well
6: this is the last thing it's a counterfactual but if trump had won do you think that the i remember the moment before he lost there were all these people on the left who were like i don't want to take this vaccine because he's rushed it through the approval process (laughs) clearly if he's making it it must be this toxic cocktail of garbage you know Right. And I felt that like I don't want to take this thing. It's just being warp speeded through by him and his cronies, and then that immediately went away. And even Trump's going around telling people to this day, like, take the beautiful vaccine. It's wonderful. You should do it. Don't don't let them take that away from you. Right? Uh, do you could you see a world where the reverse was true, and that like all the Robert De Niro types who were skeptical about vaccines causing autism before covid came along would've been like we can't take this vaccine it's it's not That's my last yeah, question. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, no, that's a uh, that's a great question. I, if Trump had won the election what would the coverage of the vaccines have been? Um yeah, I I think that's really interesting because as with any story you, you don't have to lie to completely change the narrative. Um, you, you could take all kinds of true, true facts about the vaccine and, and make it look really bad. Um, you know, and, we're, and we're seeing this now when you try to tell people, well, we've, we basically had to readjust our whole idea of what a vaccine is because of this vaccine. I mean, I always thought of it as something that prevented disease, um, and this one doesn't. Um, you still get the disease, so you uh, and you can still die from it, uh, from from the disease, but just less. Uh, I I think I think the coverage on that front would be a lot more aggressive, um, and especially especially if it were compounded by. Claims by Trump uh, that it was working better than maybe it was, if, even if he just did what what Joe Biden did and said something like, "If you get the get the shot, you're not going to get the disease." Imagine what the media reaction to that would have been. Um, they would never have let that go, uh, and that happened a bunch of times. So. Yeah, I mean, and to me, this is the, the the whole pandemic. I was talking to somebody else about this today, but it's it's a it's as graphic a demonstration of the whole like hate ink paradigm as you can get, which is you, you, the you live in completely different realities based on, um, you know, what what media demographic you belong to. You belong to. I, I think they would have built a completely different one if you had won. In answer to your question. Anyway, thanks so much, and um, I'll do one more, uh, take one more call. Uh, wanted to talk to Dave anyway, because that's a cool picture. What is that?
7: Uh, that's uh, A Hungry Ghost.
0: Nice, okay, all right, excellent. Hi, Dave. Hi, how you doing? Good.
7: Uh, yeah, I come to you by way of uh, Yasha Levine and Mark Ames as well, actually.
0: Ah, okay
7: yeah uh, but I uh, wanted to say thanks for uh, putting on this discussion about uh, Rogan mm-hmm. and censorship I think it's uh, pretty important. Um, I ran into a situation where I felt a little a uh, little bit of irony today because I was defending Joe Rogan which I'm not a huge fan of mm-hmm. um, but uh, you know at the same time I, I, uh, I, I realized there's a confusion of whether or not he's actually committing misinformation or disinformation. I'm not sure if there's uh, an awareness as to the, the difference between the two. Are you aware of the
0: difference? Yeah, uh, disinformation is is an is an active and usually governmental campaign to to misinform, right? Right. And uh-huh. misinformation is just wrong stuff, as far as right. Uh, yeah. Uh, not intentional, essentially. Not not intentional. Yeah, exactly. So, uh,
7: how are we to really view? Uh, what uh, Joe Rogan is promoting with this whole uh, anti vaxxer whatever that he's doing—is it misinformation or is it is it intentional?
0: Oh, I no. Okay, no, 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 no. I don't not at all. Look, I and 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 again, and and this is part of my argument for for why why you have to permit um, everybody to talk. Mm-hmm. Even people with whom I totally disagree about the vaccine, um, and I, you know, there are there are a lot of things that I disagree with with people like Robert Malone. Um, they they do get some things right, like they push back on, uh, you know, the sort of non scientific uh, approach to the natural immunity question. They they did talk about actual, uh, side effects that are real, you know, um, Mm -hmm. the mile card Edison young boys, um, issue turns out to be real. Uh, and it, now you have to take that into, into, into consideration that, you know, well, especially with older people, uh, they're going to get a lot more myocarditis if they get COVID. But...
7: Absolutely. My
0: father had a
7: reaction to his vaccine, actually he had to get uh, transfusions for a while. Right. Of, uh... Yeah. Wow. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, my, my irony arose today because I remember as I'm defending Rogan, even though I'm not a huge fan, that at one point uh, he had a guest on his show by the name of Renee Durista.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm familiar with her? Yeah, she was a big Russiagate person, if I remember correctly.
7: Yeah, she actually was on the, uh, testified at the uh, Senate Committee on Russian Interference. Uh, She was with the company New Knowledge, Mm -hmm. run by that guy, I believe, uh, Jonathan Morgan. Who was formerly associated with DARPA at some point, and also was advisor for the Project Birmingham scandal in Alabama during the midterms?
0: Yep, the one where they, got, where they where they they got caught cooking up the phony Russian uh, 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 like uh, social media counter
7: messaging on Facebook and got nailed all the way to the top of the investors. It was pathetic. Yeah. And then they, then it just got dropped. And of course, uh, you know, you have the uh, elections commission that was completely inept and non-functional at the time. So nothing ever happened of it. You know, it's just been lost to the waters. And, you know, uh, <laughs> Biden's team wouldn't even comment on whether or not they'd use those type of uh, tactics. And, and it was it was horrible. Uh, yeah. But anyway, was- so, yeah, there I am. and I'm remembering, oh, yeah, well, Renee Derisa, she's all about censorship. She wants to kick, you know, half the uh, people off of uh, social media platforms all over the place.
0: Yeah. And he interviewed her.
7: And 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 Rogan ate her up hook, line and sinker. It was just uh, it was unreal. No, no criticism, no critical thought about, you know, nothing about Birmingham. I mean, nothing. It was, you know, it was, you know, and he had her on twice. (laughs) Yeah. So that that's where I kind of ran into my irony problem. You know, I think that, you know, I kind of I don't want to put Rogan in the uh, alternative media section. I don't really consider him news, but, you know, I do see him as an evolution out of this, you know, right wing radio talk show, alternative media source thing that's, you know, kind of erupted. And I feel like that's all gone back to, you know, the good old days of WMDs in Iraq. Yeah. You know, and and clearly, I mean, what would you call that? Is that miss or disinformation?
0: Well. I think that's misinformation. Look, uh, I, I, the first time I went on Joe's show, um, I I talked about uh, the Russia story, and if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, he might have even brought up Renee uh, uh-huh. during that show, and I <laughs> the the conversation <laughs> ended up in an uncomfortable place. I think uh, briefly, uh, you know, look. He, the style of his show um is is based on and and he probably didn't study this uh but it, there was once a, a theory of how you interview people um for for media for especially broadcast media mm-hmm. which was which was all about just drawing people out letting them tell you um what they're what they're thinking is, uh, and there was less of this emphasis on pushing back all the time, like I me personally, when I interview people you know if I do it when I did it on useful idiots, I would often not go after people uh, and challenge them, and it's a style, not everybody right. agrees with it. Uh, yeah, but, well, he's
7: a he's a smooth operator. I'll give him that, and I appreciate his style. I think he's got a lot of character.
0: You yeah, know? I and think that, he's a
7: great. I think he's a great guy. You know, personally. Well, <laughs> I'm not, not a fan of his show too much.
0: <laughs> no, I understand you know. that, but but I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is what part of what he's doing with his show, which I think is conscious, mm-hmm. is is that he's he's trying to put out a whole bunch of different points of view out there. Um, and you know allow allow people to see all sorts of things. Now there may be different reasons for doing that. What's interesting recently is that he's, I, I think he's taken so much criticism about his views on this one issue that he's started to uh, pick his guests maybe a little bit more in that direction. Okay, um, but. But for the most part, no, I think, you know, I think he's his what he tries to do is just to get as many interesting people on as possible and and have a chat with them. Right. So he
7: definitely got her to open up and that much I do appreciate. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. You
7: know, and on a closing note, I just wanted to point out, uh, you know, with all this and disinformation uh, that folks should check out a a great video from a long way back in 1991 on C-SPAN with a guy named Todd Leventhal. Okay. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but uh he was the uh former director of US Information Agency office to control disinformation. huh. Yeah. So you, and you said, uh, okay. yeah, he did a uh thing on the Iraqi disinformation campaign uh, and had an interview and uh, I highly suggest folks check
0: it out and give Todd it a Todd Leventhal, watch.
7: huh? Todd Leventhal. Yeah, he uh recently had connections with uh Ben Nemo over at NBC.
0: Oh, okay. All right, oh, yeah. excellent. Well, I will check yeah. that out. Uh, yeah, th- that. thanks a lot, Dave. I appreciate it. Yeah, great
7: talking right. to you. Have a great, day. great talking to you time. as well.
0: Um, you know what? I want to take one more call. So let's, uh, if if you're still still up for it, uh, let's let's talk to Alex. Hey Matt, I'm hey, loving this
8: platform. This is great. Um, yeah, thank you. Going well. So I am. Uh, I wanted to talk about the Neil Young situation. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, on the one hand, I, I, while I completely disagree with him on the issue, I have to respect, you know, him putting his money where his mouth is. Um, and I kind of wish that more people would do that on some of these other issues that uh, Spotify faces. Um, so, for example, um, a lot of people have been demanding uh, Spotify's streaming payout increase to a cent per stream per artist's. For artists, this has been like a semi-viral campaign for a while. And then just a couple months ago, there was a, a new boycott of Spotify popped up having to do with the CEO's investment into defense company Helsing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of concerned that these movements are going to... Well, I've, I've personally seen um, people, artists who take part in these movements, which I agree with. Um you know, take up this cause of agreeing with Spotify for, uh, you know, uh, protecting, as they say, uh, Joe Rogan's show and um, protecting free speech in that way. And I guess my point is, you know, do you think if Neil Young had about a thousand times more listeners and Rogan had a thousand times less, would Spotify still have made the pro free speech position? Like, I doubt it.
0: No, and, I doubt it too. Yeah.
8: Mm-hmm. Right. And so... You know, for for example, um, I, I don't want to call out any artists, but I will talk about, you know, commentators. I, I saw Sagar on Breaking Points this week um, kind of praising Eck himself, this, the Spotify CEO, um, for, for, you know, taking this pro-free speech stance. And I, I really disagree with that kind of position. You know, I want to remember that this is the same business which has been paying artists near nothing and also the same CEO who's investing in this war technology. Um, I I, I think it would be a bad, really bad idea for any of these movements to kind of take on this, um, the pro censorship issue as well to like expand their movement. Um, I don't think that's a good, uh, you know, expansion because it's just going to come around to bite these people in the end.
0: Right. Um, Okay. a A lot to dig in there to their, i think you're I, I i agree with with some of what you said um look if i if i were in joe's position i, I guess if somebody offered me a 100 million dollars i'm probably not going to turn it down so who am i kidding but um but the you know the trade-off with joining a big company is that you know you now become part of whatever they're they're into right and uh yeah a lot of these companies don't treat their um you know the the people who who work for them in the best way and it would be nice if there was some organization to make to make that less of a reality uh but that's that's not just true in entertainment and media i mean i you know, I talk. I've been talking all week, the last couple of weeks, because of research I'm doing on my book for, to people who work for PetSmart, and you know, th- even these massive employers, you know, the the level of organization, like that, that they 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 won't, they won't even tolerate people having even informal groups, um, you know, of of uh, of workers talking to each other, so. Yeah. I, I, I guess a celebrity like Neil Young can get away with making this kind of gesture, um, but for the most part, uh, you know that's not going to happen. I, w- w- ages ago, during the Iraq War, um, I wrote a piece talking about how the one of the problems with the opposition to the Iraq War was the total disinterest in organization among um the war's opponents, and I was talking about how it, you could exert a lot more pressure uh boycotting certain companies that um you know that were that were profiting off the war uh or supporting it um than you would having a really colorful march with somebody on stilts and you know that that mm-hmm. kind of stuff mm-hmm. and um I still think that's true, and you know we did see a little bit of that with the, you know, sort of mass boycotts that happened after the voting rights issue in Georgia and the boycott of the major league baseball, um, or forcing them to move to Colorado. But I, you know, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. Honestly, I, I haven't really sorted that through in my mind, I, uh, I I've done. I've been starting to do some research on ESGs. You know these these kind of stocks, stock stock um, uh, options. is just sort of equities that you can buy into. They're like mutual funds that are supposed to be socially responsible, um, and so that you can you can invest and not um, not contribute to climate change. And then when you actually look into Who's in the fund? You'll find it's Occidental Petroleum and Exxon right. and all this other stuff. So I, I, I just worry you got to be a little bit careful, you know, about what you get into um, uh, before you get on that road. But uh, I just I, I understand what you're saying. I guess my problem with Neil Young in, in particular is this whole idea of. You know, I'm I'm not gonna, and and I agree. It when somebody foregoes money, you, sh- you should never look askance at that. That's a thing, right? Like most people <laughs> won't do that, but like I'm not I'm not gonna speak. I- I'm not going to work with somebody who has different views from me. Um, I I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't that yeah. R- r- rubs me the wrong way. Let me just put it that. I way.
8: I totally agree. That's that's what I think I'm saying at the end of the day is that. Just to a little concept. I'm a, an independent artist. I would greatly benefit from a, a movement like, you know, One Cent per Stream. Um, and so many people would. And yet I am not willing to join that movement if they also take up this pro censorship. You know, if they get behind Neil Young if, in order to expand their movement and include more people, um, because I, I don't want to compromise that free speech
0: absolutism. Wow, well, well, well now that's principled. <laughs> Just so you would get plaudits for me from that. That that that's, yeah. I mean, that's um. It, look, it's it's hard. It's hard. I don't I don't know how you, you 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 pressure companies that are big and have tons of cash and tons of access to to borrowing to change, um, and you know unless unless you're a celebrity on the order of. Uh, um, of Rogan, right? Um, but uh, no, no, I agree with you there, and and um, and the, and they and they should do the right thing, they should they should compensate artists more. So, uh, I hope I hope somebody takes up that cause at some point, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Matt. No, thanks so much, and uh, thanks to everybody for listening uh, on this issue. I know I, I've read a lot about the censorship thing, and everybody thinks that it's like not um that it's, it's gotten boring. And, <laughs> but I, I started doing this about three years ago after, um, in the wake of the Alex Jones incident. And I remember the, the reaction I got from colleagues back then, just in closing, just to talk about this. The reaction I got from colleagues back then was, um, well, so what you know, he's terrible. And, uh, and I would, I would always reply, well, it's not going to stop here. This is going to be a really serious thing. Um, There are so few companies that the possibilities uh, for censorship are really kind of endless, especially if they coordinate, which they clearly did in the case of the Alex Jones incident. And, you know, three years ago, the, the the rationale for people, uh, you know, who who were not flipping out about uh, about Jones or Molly or anybody like that, was that well, these people are so odious. How could you possibly be opposed to that? And there's no such thing as a slippery slope. Um, that's a that's a fallacy. Uh, it's something that people invent uh to try to enhance our position. Well, you know, here we are and it's not even four years later, and we're talking about uh Joe Rogan who is who is not even remotely a figure of the right wing. Um and it's it's being taken seriously and again he's he's got some some cover because he's uh, he's got a massive company that's very much in- invested in him. Uh, but, the you know, the next person um, might not have that kind of protection. The The people who are on Substack this week, uh, who were put under some pressure, um, Substack could easily have cut all those people loose. And maybe that wouldn't have been the hugest tragedy because... Um, it's just five people after all and and maybe maybe they have wrong views on the vaccines although I uh, again as as I think people can tell I totally disagree about that but you can see that the pressure points um, are there and uh and we've gotten to the point where these these calls for censorship have become so routine and also um, and so sophisticated uh it, it, in the way they try to pull them off um we have entire think tanks that are basically devoted to cranking out this research that's that's designed to to um convince companies to to remove people from uh from the internet uh from facebook whatever and so i i just want to close in closing Just say. This this issue. The reason I'm focusing on it is because I I thought even years ago that this was going to turn into something much more serious, and that and I think now we're seeing that that it, it's um, you know it's become uh, almost an everyday part of our lives. We don't even blink anymore when we see somebody removed from Twitter. Uh, the people who who um, who were complained about on Substack. Uh, several of them have already had their accounts taken off Twitter. Nobody even, it's, that's not even a news story anymore. So, um, this is a serious issue and we're, we're not even close to, uh, the end of how bad this, this can get. So thanks to everybody for tuning in and I'll, uh, I'll publish this soon and, um, I'll talk to you again next week. Uh, so take care.